When I was growing up in Richmond, and the James River was low during the summer, my family would drive over to James River Park, where we could hop from boulder to boulder all the way across the river. Yesterday, I thought I was still 10 years old. I tried to hop over a 15-inch rock wall and went sprawling. It takes some of us a while to recognize our limits. We don't like it, but life has its limits. Some are harder to deal with than others. One of my closest friends buried her mother yesterday, while another buried his father the week before. Life has its limits. Mary Magdalene had this fact explode in her face. As Jesus, her teacher and Lord, who had been welcomed by many into Jerusalem less than a week earlier, had now gone through torture, death, and was entombed in the garden of Joseph of Arimathea. The shrapnel of that explosion burned in her mind and heart as the limits seared painfully. A person who has been crucified is not taken down from the cross unless they are fully dead. Joseph and Nicodemus had brought spices and wrapped Jesus in linen cloths according to their custom. The tomb had been sealed and a carved boulder moved in front of it as a door. Life has its limits. The life of her Lord had ended and the darkness of the early morning hour at which Mary went to Jesus' tomb is not just a statement about the time of day. It's the state of Mary's spirit. The six weeks of Lent have been dark times for many. We have heard about world conflicts and congressional conflicts. We have commemorated anniversaries of the the shootings at Virginia Tech, of the Deepwater Horizons, Gulf oil spill. Some of us have dealt with the darkness of losing cherished possessions to last week's flash flood. And if we have been practicing Lenten disciplines, we probably also have been reminded of our weaknesses and our failures. As we mature, we learn more and more about the limits of life. And in that pre-dawn darkness, that Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene approaches a place of limits, a tomb, a place of death. A preacher was addressing the people one Sunday, trying to impress upon them the importance of faith. He was a little more dynamic than me. All you people of this congregation, one day you're going to die. Do you hear me? All the people of this congregation, one day you are going to die. One little man sitting in the front row started to laugh, and the preacher asked him, what's so funny? The man answered, I don't belong to this congregation. (laughs) Well, we shake our heads a little bit and we laugh because we know the reality of death. 
We know that one day we are all going to die, just as Mary knew that. But while she grieves the death of her Lord and teacher, and while her life is dark enough already, it gets even darker. The stone doorway has been removed from the tomb. She sees it, and then she runs to tell the disciples, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. And so two of them race back to the tomb, seeking answers to her implied question. It's almost like a mystery novella. We get one clue, and then we get another. First, Mary sees the stone has been rolled away. Now the two men see burial wrappings inside. Just the wrappings as if the body around which they had been wound would no longer need them. Evidence leads us to infer that the dead body that had been laid in this rock-hewn tomb has either been unwrapped and taken away, or something singular and extraordinary has happened. Earlier this week at the dinner table, our six-year-old asked, Is it true that nothing is impossible? Martin Copenhaver writes that Swiss theological giant Karl Barth said that what brings people to worship, not just on Easter but any day, is an unspoken question clinging to their hearts and minds, and that question simply is this, Is it true? Is it true that God lives and gives us life? Is it true that God not only established a routine, what we call the laws of nature, but that one day God broke the routine and somehow raised Jesus from the dead? Is it true that something so extraordinary happened on that morning that we can only rebuild our lives on its foundation? Is it true? Yesterday afternoon, as I was reworking this part of the sermon, I had been outside on the deck for over an hour and had seen flies and bees and various other insects, but only when I was working on this part right here, this part that says, is it true, did a little white butterfly flutter over, then directly between me and the lap desk, and then around the yard, and then over into my neighbors, and then I didn't see it again. Now, some people would say, that's a divine sign a classic symbol of Easter with just that perfect timing. How often does God enhance the routine of nature's laws? Is it true? Not Peter, but the other disciple, John, we assume, looked in after Peter did, and the gospel writer says he believed. Now, We're not sure what he believed because we're also told that they still didn't understand the scripture that Jesus would be raised from the dead. And so though the day was dawning, we don't know how much time had passed, but they were still in the darkness. Our daughter's question at the dinner table stumped me. Is it true that nothing is impossible? My mind went to that scripture passage that says all things are possible with God. And my mind went to wanting her to believe that she can do anything she wants to do. So I want to say that nothing is impossible. But 
the skeptic inside of me says certain things are impossible. Our older and so much wiser son, he's eight, (laughs) piped up with this wisdom. Building a time machine is impossible. Well, no one has built one yet. Does that mean it's impossible? Growing up, I would sit on the dining room floor attached by a spiraling cord to our one phone in the kitchen on the wall, the one that had an actual dial. And if you had told me that just a few decades later, 90% of Americans would be carrying dial-less, cord-less phones in purses and pockets, on which I could also send a text message to my sister in Hungary, if I weren't so cheap, I would have said... That's impossible. Is it true that nothing is impossible? The two male disciples go home. Mary stays to cry. But then the pace of the action escalates again. Still crying, Mary peers into the tomb and sees something new. Two angels in white who ask why she's crying. Now, John doesn't tell us that this surprises Mary, but I'm pretty sure it would have surprised me. But yet she responds to them just as she did to the other two disciples. She said, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Mary has sought answers from Peter and the other disciple from two angels within the tomb, and then outside the tomb, from a man she takes to be the gardener. He repeats the angel's question, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Responding with the boldness of grief, Mary says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Still, Mary doesn't see, she doesn't recognize until this man calls her by name. Mary, he says. And in hearing her name called, she recognizes him. Teacher, it's you. What happened to those limits? Teacher. the connection. She shouts as she comprehends what she sees. Jesus has moved beyond the limits. He's different. She didn't recognize him at first, but now she sees this connection. Here's the connection. Here's the final clue that shatters the mystery and answers Mary's inferred questions about what they have done. They have done nothing with Jesus. God has been at work reshaping reality, not just for Mary either, but for us too. When Brene Brown was working on her PhD in social work, she had heard the mantra, if you cannot measure it, it does not exist. So she started by examining connection. She says, by the time you're a social worker for 10 years, what you realize is that connection 
is what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. This is what it's all about. Neurobiologically, that's how we're wired. It's why we're here. Connection. And so in order to measure it, she started by trying to measure why connecting is so difficult. The results of her questioning, she said, changed the way she lives and loves and works and parents. Her first discovery was that shame keeps people disconnected. Shame makes people feel unworthy of being loved. And so she pursued that part of her research. So her next step then was to find common ground in people who had a sense of worthiness, who did not act out of that shame. And Brown found that people who have a strong sense of love and belonging have a sense of worthiness. And they have four common characteristics. First of all, they have the courage to be imperfect. Second, they have the compassion to be kind to themselves first and then to others. The third thing she found was that they have a connection with others as a result of authenticity, sincerity, openness. And fourth thing was that they fully embrace vulnerability. If you want to hear her whole speech, you can see it on TED Talks, if you're familiar with those, TED.com. And you can find it under the power of vulnerability. So Brown, as this was a, a process that was unrolling as she worked on her doctorate, she was challenged by her findings and realized that she needed to debrief with a therapist. And so she said to her therapist, I have a vulnerability issue. I know that vulnerability is kind of the core of shame and fear and our struggle for worthiness. But it appears it's also the birthplace of joy, of belonging, of creativity, of love. Vulnerability is risky. And yet, when the risen Christ calls Mary's name, she reopens her heart to her Lord as they connect once again. Easter celebrates the fact that Christ calls each of us by name to join in his resurrection and his ascension to be with God. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, we're told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that this divine Word was with God in the beginning. And now, to Mary Magdalene, Jesus says, Do not hold on to me. Because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go, go, move away to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father 
and your Father, to my God and your God. God is not only then Jesus' Father and God, but our Father and God as well. Cameron Murchison says this new life is not new life that lives only to die another day. Instead, it is new life that abides in God and thus abides forever. So the last verse of our passage is Mary obeying Jesus and going. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Have you seen the Lord? That's not just Mary's calling to tell the good news. I loved hearing from one of our volunteers at Angel Food Distribution Day yesterday about how a prayer for someone else was answered when he was led by God to reach out. In our limits, in our vulnerability, in our willingness to risk, we see the Lord at work. Mary's example is for each of us to tell this good news, tell our coworkers, tell the children in our lives, tell our family and our friends, tell them Christ is risen. Tell them how active Christ has been in your life or how you would like for Christ to be active in your life. They need your questions even. They need to know that you're still seeking answers too. We don't have all the answers. As they seek answers, you may be the answer they need. Because the darkness threatens all of us. It threatens to engulf us like thick fog and reduce our vision to only ourselves. But Jesus has given us the power to be dawn. Be the dawn that other people need. Spread the light of God into their lives. Don't stop asking the questions but still be that witness of hope that brightens their lives so that they, too, will be able to say, yes, it's true, I have seen the Lord. Is it true that nothing is impossible? Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen. Let's pray. God of grace and God of power, God of mystery and God of love. We thank you for this story. We thank you for the questions, for the answers, and yet the questions that we still have. And yet, Lord, let us rest in the joy of this mystery that you have given new life to Christ, and through him you give us new life as well. Help us to connect. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to be vulnerable, especially to you. And then let you guide us as you guided Mary. Lord, we thank you for all of your gifts. Amen.